on maynard.com.au. AU! It's Bunga Bunga! With Tim Ferguson and Maynard! Up there, you won't see it coming. Oh, well, in fact, I can see it coming. Oh my god, it's Bunga Bunga! <laughs> yes, we're on the street at the Fru Fru Cafe in Glebe Point Road with people walking past. Hello, how are you? Hi. Can you shout Bunga Bunga into our microphone, please? Bunga Bunga? No, I mean in an no, organised way. Bunga Bunga! Bunga Bunga! Bunga Bunga! Bunga Bunga! Bunga Bunga! There we go. Thank you, thank you very much. Another ringing endorsement of the show, Tim. <laughs> They're completely disorganised. They were trying well with the dialogue, but you know, I mean, you're walking along, you're having your lunch break, and suddenly some goose wants you to say Bunga Bunga. What goose is that? What are you implying? <coughs> oh, yeah, that. <laughs> Had a, a lot of mail from show 16. Uh, I could go through the list of things that you tirated about in 16. Morrissey, high school, adolescence, people complaining, the fact you even get mail, all of these things you abused in the last show. Yes, I did speak from the heart and also from the brain, but also this part of my ankle that's really developing some kind of rash. And there goes the 431. Someone who's been missing from the last couple of episodes of Bunga Bunga as we record in Glebe is the uh, amateur filmmaker of Glebe. You want to explain him for people who might have missed out on it. He's just not around. There is an amateur filmmaker of Glebe who writes a lot of drama, very dark drama, and he rides around intermittently on a motorcycle that is a very noisy Mm. motorcycle because he can't afford a muffler. But we heard him before, very loudly, zooming past us on his way, no doubt, to drink some coffee and stare into space. I'm just going to turn down our heater here because we are outside, as you may have noticed, with people passing by here. I'm overheating in my Austin Powers top. Turn it right down because with my uh, many scleroses, I don't have all of them, but I've got a lot of them. Um, Apparently I have to keep my brain cool because brains, like anything, expand in the heat. Well, there's two things that Tim, he doesn't really fear them, but two things that it's like late at night and heat are the two things you've got to avoid. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So when it's late at night, I just jump forward an hour. He set himself on daylight saving time. Also from last show, what do you think about recriminations? Do you think you were a bit harsh on the audience at the Morrissey concert that we spoke to on the last show? Very disappointing to hear all those middle-class people saying what a wonderful time they had. Didn't hear one working-class accent among them. I'm pretty sure one of those guys was the chief of the Young Liberals. I was sickened by that display, people. Sickened. This is Australia. Go back where you came from. Not at all. In fact, if anything, I regret going soft on those wet back, spineless pieces of lettuce that have been put in a washing machine dweebs. Seriously, people, haven't you heard that ACDC are coming? You want some music? Go get some rock as opposed to moaning about some guy, what was his name? Dave from Dagenham. I mean, really? That's just class warfare. I see they might be giants are touring Australia in November as well. That's pretty exciting. That's very exciting. That's real music, not the, uh, da, 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 the car alarm of British 
moaning. We'll move away from Morrissey because, frankly, you know, people think you may have been too harsh on him. Guess what? I just realised this morning that uh, Bunga Bunga is now on a watch list. That's right, a Morrissey watch list, because I think I did say something last week like, fuck you, Morrissey, which people have misunderstood. There is such a thing as the tweet for the Daily Morrissey, and I would have thought that we might have got on that this time round again. Oh, I would have hoped so. Gosh, we're trying. We're just in there fighting for the common people. She came from Greece. She had a thirst for knowledge. You're listening to Bunga Bunga 17, uh, brought to you by DNC Lifestyles and mainly our Patreons. They're the people that really put it behind us and we'd like to thank by name these people. Jeanette, Peter, Rebecca, Katrina, Richard, Danny, Nick, Daryl Adams, of course. We all know about him, don't we? We know a lot about Daryl. Sue Weldon, Patricia... Mark O'Brien, Tony Push, Christy Shields, Lindley Kissick and John. And there's one person who remains anonymous. You want to have a guess at who that might be? I think it might be Bronwyn Bishop. She tends to be fairly, fairly loose with her cash. And Bronwyn Bishop is a huge Mojo Nixon fan. I think I was psychically connected to her when we played Girlfriend in a Coma by Mojo Nixon at the end of last show. Did you enjoy that version of that song? I loved that. I actually danced with the parts of my body that can actually dance. Can you do much of the wheelchair dancing? Because I have seen examples of people dancing in the wheelchair. What do you like at that? Completely lousy, which is okay because I couldn't wheelchair dance before. We thank our patrons, and if you'd like to help us produce the show and, you know, help us be maybe in a proper studio one day, although I've got to say there is some advantage to being in a a cold little frosty spot on Glebe Point Road out the front of the Fru Fru Cafe, isn't there? Oh, there is, and there's always a nice mood, and, of course, the screenwriters just keep walking past, and it's great to see them. Hello, everyone. We thank the 15 people... (laughs) 15 people that are patrons of us. Very nice of them, isn't it? And so what do people do if they want to donate just per month? And it can be as little as $1. In fact, I've set the page at $1, so you can just click on it to become a Patreon. And once a month, $1. If you're a huge spender, you might not even notice that. And if you make it a dollar and one cent, nobody even knows how much that will be every year. Just go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Maynard. And of course we have DNC Lifestyles as well, but most of our money comes from our Patreons, and I kind of like it that way. Me too, because it means that people out there, people like Jeanette and Rebecca and Richard and Nick and Sue... And Daryl. And, oh, don't forget, well, Daryl, are all contributing to something that I hope is special. Not special in the way that I'm special, In that, oh no, look at that guy in a wheelchair. I mean, like special in the way that unicorns or my little pony are special. Let's open the crank mail. Crank mail, crank mail, crank mail. Oh, what animal do you think that is pissing at the end there this week, Tim? It sounds like a Canadian moose, different from the American moose, in that the Canadian moose is very polite about where it poops and pisses. Let's have a look. Claire McConnon writes for Crank Mail. Claire writes, if May the 4th is Star Wars Day, may the 4th be with you, would two days later be Revenge of the 6th? Yes. And speaking of Star Wars, what's this about China just getting it? Yeah, China has finally, after 40-something years, decided that Star Wars A New Hope, which was the first Star Wars film, can be allowed on at cinemas. And needless to say... Millions of Chinese people are going to see Star Wars and that sound you hear of leather banging into bone 
is George Lucas kicking himself for selling Star Wars too soon. It's amazing he had all that wealth, and there is such a thing as toxic wealth, but I guess you could consider that those last three movies he's made example of toxic wealth, because I didn't like him at all. They were pointless. Lisa Kodjata and Binks. Yes, that's right. They were pointless. They didn't operate as a classic story should, which is like an ocean wave. Mm. There's a pulse, then there's a build and a build and a build, and a satisfying crash. This was basically just an annoying child, then becoming an irritating teenager, scowling, falling over, and chopping up innocent people with lasers. What do you think is an example of a good classic movie plot? When you're teaching your students uh, about comedy theory and storyline theory, what's the movie you go, that movie got it right? I use Notting Hill and the other one is Saving Private Ryan. Both of them are classic three-act stories with their own different beats, their own different story beats. So Notting Hill follows a romantic comedy story pattern and the pattern that we see in Saving Private Ryan is more of the classic, but also with war, the war story attached. And they each have different signposts along the way. And they're liked by boys and girls because she's just a girl standing in front of a Nazi. And do you think, as people say, the movie The Longest Day, which covers the same subject matter, the D-Day landings, as Saving Private Ryan, there is no way they could have shown something as graphic as the beginning of Private Ryan when they made The Longest Day in the 60s? The Longest Day really is a sanitised version, only because, as you say, they couldn't show what had actually occurred. They couldn't show anything more than a soldier grasping his chest and falling over, as opposed to... People being blown in half by grenades, as we see in Private Ryan. Still, it's a hell of a movie and a great document of that extraordinary couple of days. William Goldman wrote about Private Ryan saying that it's total crap. He said from beginning to end, it makes no sense that the theme is out of whack with the events, that the character development is drab. He had a real problem, or has a real problem, with Saving Private Ryan, so... And he's William Goldman, so you've got to give him a nod. It's just useful in terms of breaking down the three-act story to its six component parts, which I won't bore you with, but there are only six. If you're writing, don't add seven, because that will be a very Australian thing to do. Back to the crank mail, Andrew Rag writes, the Fryku thing is not really panning out as I'd hoped. Is it time to move on? If so, to what? What's the Fryku, Tim? The Fryku sounds like a small meal fried. I think that's something you do with chips. How do you spell Fryku? I think it's like haiku with a FR. I don't know. He's baffled us there, and so I agree. <laughs> Enough. Enough yeah. airtime's been wasted on Fryku. Tim and I both agree that it's not working out, and we suggest you move on. What to? Yeah, move on. Just go back to haikus and eat chips as you read them. Maybe you could try making airfix aeroplanes. You could do that, yeah. Airfix aeroplanes or the little boats. If a haiku snaps in the forest, can anybody hear it? The answer is yes, they can. 
Hey, did you ever build FX models as a kid? I remember what really stonked me. I tried to make the Flying Fortress and the Super Fortress is what I put it together, but not particularly well, because they are very difficult ones to put together. That was a toughie. I tried making an aircraft carrier and, you know, I stopped after about 10 minutes. Mm. It would be quicker to build a relationship with someone you're moderately attracted to. That's right. And of course we have Mark O'Brien, Tony Push comes in here with the typical uh, left of centre. I don't know where the centre is for this, but he says, when is a good time to utilise an inner soul liner? That's soul spelled S-O-U-L, an inner soul liner. And is it ever too late to use one? An inner soul liner. Sadly, nobody cares about the soul anymore. Uh, We have iPhones and apps instead. The good thing about the soul is it doesn't matter what you do to your soul, it will still be there until you die. So people who spend a lot of time taking care of their soul are really wasting their time. It's like trying to soothe a rock. The rock will just keep being a rock. Just leave it alone. That reminds me of that great song, You Look Fabulous by Billy Crystal, in which he says, it's not how you feel, it's how you look. And it really is. That will help your attitude. Saludos, my darlings, and you know who you are. Come on, let's mingle. So nice to see you. Throw your hips into the air, like Sichoris and Fred Astaire. Let's crazy go Just looking into your eyes, darling. I can tell that you have the legs of a dancer. So bring those legs and the rest of your body over here. And be Nando's private prancer. Darling, I got to tell you something. And I don't say this to everybody. You look marvelous. Absolutely marvelous. You know, my dear, my father used to say to me, Nando... It's not how you feel, it's how you look. He was Maurice, but you, darling, you look Maurice. Absolutely Maurice. And this is from my heart, which is deep inside my body. It's better to look good than to feel good. Get down. It's good to meditate because apparently that is very good for your mental health, for your well-being, for your heart rate and all that stuff. But if you're meditating because you want to take care of your soul, I refer you to the rock theory. Crows up the crank mail. Crank mail, crank mail, crank mail. If you want to drop us some crank mail at any time, it's maynard at maynard.com.au. Your Twitter is? My Twitter is at RealTimFerguson. Or you can go to the Bunga Bunga Facebook page, join the conversation there, or try and stop the conversation, or try and derail the conversation. Well, yeah, that's right. Derail it. Change the topic. If someone's asking about haircuts, you just go straight to the Canadian moose and ask for more details. We were talking about dressing well. Tim, you've spent a lot of time telling me that on your first date with your beautiful wife, your future beautiful wife, you were the most charming you've ever been. A few people and myself would like to know, what did you wear on that? You're a guy who thinks things through. Not not like McDermott, he just turns up, doesn't shave and hopes for the best. And normally it works out for him. But you, what were you wearing that night? I had to work hard, Maynard. I had to think hard. Yeah, because she's quite a catch. She is quite a catch and I knew it. And I'd fought very hard for this first date. I'd basically passed the point of pestering, pleading, begging, 
then I went to bargaining anger and then to acceptance and it was when I hit acceptance that finally she said yes and I turned up wearing my favourite tweed jacket, a blue shirt because I thought that made me look like the kind of defendant that you would let off and a pair just of simple jeans and RM Williams boots. Thankfully, she didn't throw me in the bin immediately. I had a bit of feedback on your look from someone on the Bunga page. They said it's a man who's very confident in his sexuality who can wear a blue shirt, I believe someone said of you recently. That's right. Not confident of my legal status in front of a magistrate, but certainly wearing a blue shirt. I always find a suit's always a good thing because if things don't work out and you're wearing a suit, you feel slightly less like a loser. I heard a theory, I think it was Vin Diesel, who said whatever you're going to wear, you have to be happy that you died in that outfit. My black Paul Smith suit would be very suitable for that. In fact, I'm wondering what I'm going to be wearing too. I'm thinking ahead. There's a Soul Weekender happening at the Sydney University. Northern Soul. 60s Northern Soul Weekender. So we can think a little bit quadrophenia. I'm thinking what to wear to that. I'm thinking the black suit from the 90s isn't a 60s cut, but it would kind of work. What would you wear to a 60s Soul, Northern Soul Weekender? Just my underpants. Saves a lot of time. There's nothing 60s about them. No, that's true. 60s is just going nude. Did you like the movie Quadrophenia as a film screenwriter? Yeah, I went to see it several times. It's still vague in my memory simply because every time I went, I was in an even greater state of disrepair than I was the time before. Hmm. So it remains a bit mysterious to me, but I did like the bikes. Quadrophenia. The major musical statement about an angry generation is now a motion picture for every generation. Quadrophenia, the Who's triumphant answer to indifference. The movie the music's been waiting for. Much like June, Sting is in it. Yeah, yeah, Sting is in it and bringing not much to it. What did you think of Kyle McLaughlin? Well, he's star of the movie that we are the official podcast to, 20 years anniversary in September, Showgirls. Pool scene, pool scene, pool scene. That sound of music we do play is actual. That's him and doing the, the dirty in the pool that you can hear. That, that washing machine noise with that vaguely porny music in the background is the pool scene. If you haven't seen the movie Showgirls, well, that will explain a lot about your mood. <laughs> You've got a few clothing tips from Bunga Bunga, and all I can say is good luck, or as we both say, good, good luck. luck. Other news on the Chinese front that broke this week. I tell you what, I, I was thinking of you straight away when I saw the uh, the Wu-14 was out. Oh, man, what a missile. Everything that a growing country needs. The Wu-13, absolute rubbish. Yeah, the Wu-13 <laughs> kept blowing up on the pad. But the Wu-14, it's one of the reasons why China is uh, still at 6% economic growth. And that's official, but we don't really know what that means. I suspect that maybe someone's massaging, you know, massaging the figures with a very deep thumb. And they do what the Turks call the full English. The Wu-14 is a hypersonic re-entry vehicle, which means they can have it enter the atmosphere at 10 times the speed of sound and manoeuvre at that speed. So if you've got an iron dome or some sort of ballistic missile interception system, it's going to make it kind of tough. Yeah, like if you use the Patriot, which is what was used in the last Gulf War to blow up missiles. Which didn't actually work too well then, actually. I think if you see footage, you can see the missile go off, but it's not actually near the warhead that it's aimed at. It looked good on TV, oh, though. Great. That's the main thing. Mm. Nothing that anybody has at the moment will be able to stop these missiles. But, you know, someone will come up with it, and so they'll come up with an even faster one. 
I just say just make a bigger missile that you only have to launch above your head to blow up everything. Uh-oh, what's going to happen now? Time for Tim's historical hypothetical. No, I refuse. I refuse. I refuse to go to this hell again. I don't even know what I'm going to be told. What is this hypothetical? Well, as you may remember, Tim has rebuilt the pyramids. He's been in the bunker during the end of the Second World War. He's been on a tram during the First World War, given a white feather. You've been everywhere. Everywhere. Even Marilyn Monroe. He even solved the Amelia Earhart mystery, which a lot of people are thanking you for. Well, yeah, I mean, the Earhart family are just experiencing a sense of relief. Today could be semi-fictional. Here we go as we open Tim's historical hypothetical. Are you ready? I was born shortly before I was ready. The date is uh, roughly 30 AD. The place around about Galilee. Uh, uh, I don't know where this is going. You are the son of God. (laughs) 30 AD. Yeah, I know where this is going. Yeah, not having a great day. You're leaving Bethemony and you're a bit hungry, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I'm hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree, you notice that the fig tree hasn't got any fruit. And when you go to it, you notice that it's not fig tree season, but you curse it and it dies. Can you explain your behaviour here? Because it isn't fig season and you should know that. And you've cursed the tree because it hasn't got any figs, which is to be expected because it's not fig season. And you curse the tree. What parable, what reasoning, what was going on in your head, Jesus? It was peer pressure. I'm hanging around with these 12 guys and I'd kind of said, I bet you I will make a magic tree. Dad's planted this magic tree. There will be figs. And you turn up there and all the mates are going, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. You're supposed to be the son of whatever. And then you turn around, this is total bullshit and bullshit on you. And so it was all I could do to stamp my foot, snarl up into the sky where my father presumably somehow hovered and curse the tree. The curse took a long time. It took about 80 years, I think, before that tree died, but I got to it. I got to it, Maynard. Peer pressure, peer pressure every time. And who was the worst? I mean, which which one of the disciples disciples was really riding you to do a trick? Surprisingly, Judas was okay. Ah. Well, because he was the quiet one in the background, nobody really talks to Judas. I could tell him my secrets. I could tell him my stories. I could tell him where I was going to be, the Garden of Gethsemane. It was doubting Thomas. No messiah wants to be hanging around an atheist. (laughs) They just become a drag. What was all the washing of your feet stuff all about? Why were you constantly having your feet washed? I understand they would be dirty wearing sandals, but what about the rest of you? What about underarms? Washing of the feet is just a metaphor. It's a, a metaphor, and Mary Magdalene did wash my feet, and that was great. You only had to look at what she did for a living to see what else she washed. That's been Tim's Historic Hypothetical. And I think it hypothetically went well. What's happening with the Doug Anthony All-Stars at the moment? I'm actually minding Kittler for a couple of days here. What do you got coming up and what's happening in the world of DAS in this international year of the Doug Anthony All-Stars? We go to Wagga. Wagga Wagga, a place so good they named it. We will be going to Wagga. Are you going to be playing Choices Nightclub? I certainly hope so, because I don't think anywhere else will have us. I don't know what's going on in Wagga, but I can't help these people. I've got some new, beautiful, deluxe prints of 
a portrait that uh, Scottish artist Roddy Kerr did of me. Of course, it's a huge uni town there, Charles Sturt University. You haven't been there for 20 years or more. I haven't been there for ages. I don't know if uni students can cope with the Doug Anthony All-Stars. They certainly couldn't cope with us 20 years ago. And uni students today, I imagine, will find us upsetting, caustic, angry and confronting and probably not think we're funny at all. And all of those things would be true. They often want to have existential debates about the meaning of your humour back in the day. Did you get dragged into that very often at the bar at Edinburgh or in Sydney or Melbourne where students would come up and they'd try and find some inner meaning in what you were doing, which I've got to say is pretty pointless occupation. The good thing about being in the Doug Anthony All-Stars is that nobody ever approaches to have any kind of conversation apart from, can you please sign this? And then they run away because, well, you just have to sit next to Paul McDermott and Paul Livingston. People are so daunted that they stay away. The existential question only ever comes up with comedians, the most boring people in the world to talk about comedy to. If you actually at the, the late night comedy bar at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, I've uh, done some great interviews with comedians there and the thing you don't talk about is comedy or you talk about comedy in a really general way and that's kind of fun if you actually get into the nitty-gritty of it and specific shows no one really likes doing that comedians are a prickly bunch many of them can be highly competitive and part of that is not actually speaking about how highly competitive they are. They uh, also have a weak spot, comedians, which the Doug Anthony All-Stars have managed to avoid, and that is they like to form cliques because they look tough hanging around the hi-fi bar in the Melbourne Comedy Festival, whereas what they're really trying to be is the Doug Anthony All-Stars, who have our own clique, and we don't really like each other, so we save a lot of cliquey time. This must be bus revving time of the day. Yeah, it is. I think that's, in fact, it's probably just a rogue bus driver, just like in Duel. You don't want that bus behind you. So you've got your advice on your comedy there. You know what to do when you see the guys. And what's the best way to approach you guys? I know Paul Livingston, he's a very quiet guy. Paul McDermott scares people a bit. But Mr Livingston, he's very quiet. So you'll start up a conversation. He'll only say a few words at a time. It's not because he doesn't like you. That's just the way Mr Livingston is. Mr Livingston is, as far as I know, the only person on the planet who scares and daunts Paul McDermott and myself. We both fawn to Mr Livingston. Is that because you're concerned with the subtext? Because he doesn't say much, you think there must be a subtext there you're missing? Well, that's right. You know, if you sit next to a person who doesn't talk for long enough, you assume <laughs> their silence means something. Well, let's break the silence now, because it's time for the bug out bag segment, which Tim has to introduce. Here is what is the in Maynard's bug out bag... Man, a career in voiceovers for you. And, man, we've got a couple of things here. Let's just reveal this one. Look at that, Tim. Time magazine, Gulf War II, first issue. And the date is March 21st, 2003. Big number. And a big number for pages, too. This is when Time magazine had 136 pages. I think they'd be lucky to have 36 pages now, wouldn't it? It was a big, thick bumper playboy-sized magazine at the time. Now it's a wafer-thin. Twelve years ago now, look, there's a Hewitt-Packard 4201 notebook for $2,500 here, and it's got a 30-gigabyte hard drive with a 256-megabyte of RAM and a 2-gigahertz processor for $2,500. Whoa. 
That's a very pricey and weighty piece of machinery. I'll just quote a couple of the uh, headlines here in this Time magazine. How the idea that America can make the world safer by vigorously confronting tyrants takes root in the Bush administration. Now, uh, what do you think of that concept? They're thinking that by confronting Saddam Hussein, destabilising him, they will get peace in the Middle East. Yeah, obviously it worked. It worked really well. It's great to be living in this period of peace in the Middle East. Joe Klein, um, and uh, he's a right-wing credentials are well established there, he says, will victory make the US humble or arrogant, he asked back in uh, 2003. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, again, it's still 50-50 on that one. A bit of humility and a bit of arrogance put together that creates America. Voices of Outrage on page 42 of Time magazine. You can look that up from March 21st, 2003. Talking about the people that are protesting the uh, Gulf War II and it says they're energised and organised but can the US anti-war protesters survive their own diversity? They're asking it with a question. They're not even saying, well, what do you think, Tim? There's a bit of a... mainstream media bias against the protesters there? Oh, there's certainly the usual sneering, you know, oh, these childish, these childish protesters. But if you look at the question Time magazine asks, can US anti-war protesters survive their own diversity? Really, we've come to discover that the question is, can the US post-war governments survive the diversity of the countries they've invaded. And we're still finding out what is going to happen in that region. The one thing about those protesters was uh, I got into a bit of trouble, Maynard. I got into a bit of strife. I got a couple of stern letters. In fact, I got a bucket full of stern letters written to me. I got stopped in the street by a young man who was really very aggressive and said, you know, that I was a fascist and a fool. It was simply because I'd written a piece for The Age questioning the purpose and efficacy of nude protesting. There was a hillside and hundreds of anti-war protesters took their clothes off and spelt no war with their nude bodies on a hillside. And I questioned the point of this. And I simply asked, how, how seriously can you expect to be taken if you're not wearing underpants. Of course, this was taken as me being a right-wing lickspittle warmonger. My point was simply that if you have an argument against a war, surely it's good enough for you to be wearing clothes when you deliver it. There's nothing wrong with a stunt to get attention, but, Tim. I mean, if they did that in a reasonable, normal way, they might not get any airtime. Yeah, or maybe no. This was war and... The media loves to show that there is an argument happening in the same way that the media still talks about global warming sceptics. The media likes to show that there is a debate occurring. The simple fact is if you're having to commit some sort of lame stunt, like those people who dressed in suits and threw mud at each other to protest against Parliament, you're immediately relegating yourself to the oddity section of the newspaper. You will not get in the front. You will not be quoted first in pieces. You will be treated like a stupid art student who happens to have an opinion that their parents gave them. If you really want to protest, then damn it, protest. And don't do it with a march. Don't do it by taking your clothes off. Don't do it by dressing as victims and pretending you're being slaughtered. 
you get up, you go to Parliament House and you stop these people as they come out of the building and you do it with a camera. You do it effectively with a purpose, with a product at the end of it that you can use to convince people of your point. Otherwise, you're just a uni student with too much time on your fucking hands. Wow! You are harsh today. Are you sure you ate all that meal and drank the coffee? You okay? You happy? Well, I was just upset by people questioning my politics because I was questioning their tactics. Mm. I went accidentally to a uh, march against warmth, or warming, I think it was. March against warming, just because I found myself there. And it kind of summed up why marching to protest is now a useless form of protest. But surely the sheer numbers in the street on a visual medium would say something. No, no, nobody cares about that anymore. The visual medium is way too small. It's on our phones. When was the last time you looked at a uh, report on your telephone and said, ooh, that's a lot of people. A lot of people must be interested. Even if you get 100,000 people marching in Sydney, which you never will, because it's too hot and the beaches are too attractive. Even if you get 100,000, the percentage of those people is minuscule. Politicians don't care. They know there are well more than 100,000 people who disagree with them at any stage about any issue. There's no point in marching, partly because you always get those dickheads with the drums. Dickheads with dreadlocks. Banging drums. You know, it's really just a point of saying, come on, shut up. We're trying to make a point here. Again, if you want to save the planet, don't make so much noise on the street. The most effective way to slow down politicians, do what I do, pick up the phone and call their office. Call their office and ask to speak to the politician the secretary, whoever answers the phone, will politely tell you the politician isn't there. Thank you very much for your call. Wait five minutes, call again. Wait one minute, call again. And call and call and call and call and call. Hello, darling. Hello, darling. Tie up their phones. They need their telephones. Tie up their office. And a politician needs their office to be effective. You want to protest go direct to source. That's how I do it. I made Stephen Conroy, or I was one of the people who pushed Stephen Conroy away from his oppressive new laws that were restricting access and behaviour on the internet. And I called his office, I don't know how many times, day after day after day, and I just had them on redial while I was typing other stuff, and then I just kept redialing, and the, the lady was always very nice every time I called, because she's paid to be polite. And also I was a little bit funny, I was a little bit flirty. It's me again, I know I called before. Just wasting your time, Sandra. Love you, bye. Beep. That's quite a, a strategy. Oh, and it works. Conroy eventually had to deal with it. And in fact, he ended up sending me a message. I was doing it with Tony Burke recently. Pestering Tony Burke, who's in the Labor Party, who had an anti-gay stance anti-gay marriage, effectively the same thing. And I pestered him and poked and, you know, knock and ring and knock and ring and ring and knock and ring and knock and ring and knock and ring and tweet and tweet and tweet and tweet and tweet. Eventually he sent word to me begging me please to stop with my tweeting about the issue and recently he came out and said he had changed his mind about gay marriage. 
well done, Tim. That's how we get stuff done. And I did it, well, in fact, I was naked, but, you know, they didn't know that. I was just at home on my couch. Speaking of same-sex marriage, let's whip this out of the bug-out bag. Oh, my God. Sex tips for straight women from a gay man. By uh, Dan Anderson and Maggie Beerman. I'll just uh, read one section. The Big Cut. While most American men are circumcised these days, many men in the rest of the world are not. Contrary to what many guys will tell you, circumcision does not reduce penis size. There's just a little bit less skin to play with. There you go. And that's the kind of thing you can expect in that book. Sex tips for straight women from a gay man. Yeah, but what about the tips? What do they do? I mean, what's he suggesting we do? There's a when and a what about wearing condoms, which is quite good. There's positions like the track and field. Ah, can I read that? <laughs> the hovering butterfly. Have a go at the hovering butterfly. The hovering butterfly. If you're feeling particularly gymnastic, try Master Tung San's hovering butterfly position. The guy is on top, on his back, with his knees bent up to his chest. Oh, and you're on top, uh, facing him while sitting on the back of his thighs. So you get the picture? Uh, with your knees supported by the bed. If you're in this position, the angle changes by him wrapping his legs around your waist and while you have to do most of the work because he's pinned down like a butterfly specimen, he can help you move up and down on his man shaft, his words, not mine, by placing his hands under his buttocks. This will make his coral stem yearn for yin essence and your jade chamber will be pretty happy too. So, a, a lot of metaphors. What other podcast are you going to hear the expression hovering butterfly and your jade chamber? Nowhere else would do that. It's sometimes easier just to say rub your metaphor against his metaphor repeatedly, uh, speeding up the process until your jade chamber is filled with customers. Or yin or yin. Gee, it's hard to swallow when you're lying down. Here's one last thing. Look at this. I don't know if I've shown you this before. <gasps> Thunderbird sticker fun book. Oh, my God. Push out, stick and colour. This yes. is like an original thing. It Tell is, me about it, it is, It's a colouring in book from Thunderbirds. I'd say I'll see if I can get a year on this. Uh, and you can see the great colouring in work I've done. That's right. You put the sticker... Holy, holy, holy. So you get the sticker and then you put it on the yeah. head of the drawn figure. Yeah. And you've actually seen my colouring in work on the Star Trek colouring in book from the 70s that I still had. I'm just trying to find some of the uh, Thunderbird 1, not bad. Ah, uh, yeah, there you go. That, that Thunderbird 2, there you go. Not so good. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, you've got the colour there, but uh, it lacks the oomph. It lacks the atmosphere. The penmanship's not quite right, is yeah, it? Yeah, it's not quite right. Well, there'll be a shot of that on the Abunga Bunga Facebook page because we are nothing if not Thunderbirds fans. And that's the original stuff. It's even got cockroach poopy on the side. Having seen the artwork in there, it's pretty good, but hell, a child could have done that. It's, it's almost time to wrap up the show here, Bunga Bunga 17. It's anything particularly musical. Touch of Northern Soul here. How about uh, one of the original versions of the song? Tainted Love. Oh yeah, there have been lots of covers of Tainted Love and this has got to be one of them. <laughs> but right now, before we shoot out the door and find out what the hell that dog's barking about, can you hear, the, hear that dog going nuts? Who knows? Who knows why the dogs bark, he said philosophically. He probably hasn't got enough DNC lifestyles. That's probably what his problem is. That's right. That dog has no DNC lifestyle gadgets, gizmos 
and uh, dog spoiling items, such as? All little toys that they can play with, a nice little house that they can lie in, little baskets they can do. They've got everything for dogs, as well as cats, of course. And we'd like to hear from people out there, because we talk about dogs and cats a lot on the show, but we'd like to hear from people that have got other kind of pet. You'd be a snake guy, wouldn't you, Tim? I don't like snakes. I'm scared of snakes, which is why I used to have heaps of them. <laughs> but I left them out on the farm, where they could roam wild and freak me out wherever mm. I walked. I don't have pets because I know the life cycle. I know that birds will die, I know the animals will die, and I know they're lovely to have, but I've seen my, my parents get pretty upset about when they lost their cat, Tinker. Plus, I'm not home much. The cat would end up starting its own political party. I've had a lot of horses, and horses are... Uh, expensive. They're expensive, but they're also they're kind of like five-year-old boys. They're kind of smart, but they're not very smart. They remember some orders, but are always trying to forget them. Uh, I thought they could count. They can count to one. That's enough for them. Funny thing about horses is a horse assumes you are as big as the horse is because it only has one eye that it can look at you with most of the time because its eyes are on the side of its head. So it has no sense of perspective. So when dealing with a horse, it's always good to give them a bit of a shove, push your weight against the horse a little because it will assume you're either as big or bigger than it is. Their paintings are really crap too, that lack of perspective, like, man, they're no Da Vinci, those horses. Yeah, I mean, compared to a dolphin's, horses are just lousy because they lose interest and their pictures have no depth. They make my work with the Thunderbirds colouring in book look actually viable. And I want you to be sure that the Thunderbirds colouring in is viable, but not as an ongoing career. It's time to get to Tim Ferguson's Rider Apply. It's time for his Rider Apply, where Tim has thought through an issue to the nth degree, and then he gives you the nth degree here on Bunga Bunga 17. Your Rider Apply, Tim Ferguson. Don't expect too much. Peter Dutton, Minister for Immigration, has been ranting and raving and jumping up and down about Gillian Triggs who is in charge of, you know, she's commissioner for human rights in this country, and he's branding her as being left-wing. But all she's doing is pointing out that it is important for Australia to maintain a rigid and clear, open maintenance of human rights in every endeavour. If that's left-wing, then human rights are indeed left-wing which will uh, come as a surprise to Joseph Stalin. The government should stop making this a political football by accusing Gillian Triggs of making it a political football. She is only reacting to what the government's doing, so they should shut the hell up, let the woman do her job, which she's very effective at doing, and it's not going to work. She's tough. She's not going anywhere, and they only make themselves look cruel, stupid and ugly to the soccer mums and doctors' wives who they are going to need come election time, and those people are, if not progressive, moderate. Tim Ferguson's right of reply, poorly thought out but well-spoken. Every time, because I use rounded vowels. Don't expect too much. Say hello, get some crank mail in. This has been Bunga Bunga 17 as the truck reverses into us. That's right. Oh, no. Oh, no. Thanks for listening, everybody. Always good fun. Thank you for listening to Australia's fastest growing podcast. Bunga Bunga.
on maynard.com.au. Hey, you! Yeah.